Well, hello, Avenue, and welcome to the next in our sermon series in the letter of 1 Peter. Now, you may have noticed that um, my background looks slightly different to normal. I don't usually have massive Avenue banners up in my shed. Now, don't get me wrong, I love our church, I love our logo, um, but they take up a lot of space, believe me. So why do I have these banners up behind me today? Well, the very practical reason is I kind of want to see if they still stand up. Um, They've been sitting in our filing cabinet at the school since the end of March. We've got them out to prepare us for our first physical gatherings as a church this coming Sunday at Knighton Free Church. So basically a practical reason is I just want to see if they still stand up and work. But I've got these banners up behind me today for a couple of other reasons. The first one is this, and it's a bit weird to say, but I've actually really missed seeing these banners. Now, we used to put these up every week um, at the school before lockdown, and it's just really good to see them again. And the second reason is that they help remind me of a truth I believe the Apostle Peter wanted to remind his readers of in the verses we're beginning to look at today in this letter. See, these banners help to remind me what our church family at Avenue is all about. Now, they've got our five core values on them, uh, mainly just below the camera line, I'm afraid. But even more importantly, they've got pictures of our church family on them. So these banners help to remind me that, that when the Bible talks about the church, it is always talking about people. And that's what I see on these banners. Pictures of people in our church family. People I love. People who love each other. And more amazingly than that, people who are loved by the God of the universe. People who've been called by him into his family through the saving death of Jesus on the cross. See, in the Bible, the word church is never used to refer to a building or an institution or even a social club. No, in the Bible, the church is the people of God saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's that glorious new identity as the people of God that Peter celebrates and that Peter wants his readers to celebrate in the verses of chapter 2 of 1 Peter that we're going to be looking at today. And if you could open your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter 2 verses 9 to 10, that would be great. We're going to be spending the next few weeks looking together at these verses. In particular, we're going to be looking at verse 9, one phrase at a time. Now, why are we doing this? Why are we slowing down like this? Well, I believe because in this verse, Peter gives us one of the richest and most glorious pictures of the church that we find anywhere in the Bible. So we want to slow down. We want to sort of camp out in this verse for the next few weeks. Now, where do these verses fit in 1 Peter? Well, back in verse 8, we looked at last week, Peter's describing people who reject Jesus, who turn away from Jesus in this world. And then we come to verse 9 and it begins with a but. See, Peter's drawing a contrast here between people who reject Jesus and the people he's writing to who trust in Jesus. Let me read 1 Peter 2 verses 9 to 10 for us. But you, says Peter, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, I hope we can see here, Peter is painting a glorious picture of the church in these verses. And we're going to look at each of these phrases in verse 9 in turn over the next few weeks. So this week, we are a chosen people. And after that, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And before we turn to the first of those phrases, just a few words of introduction for each of these descriptions of the church. First thing to say is that each of these phrases is corporate. Each description of the church Peter uses here is a plural one. And none of them describes a Christian living on his or her own. They each describe a community. Now that might seem obvious, but it's a vitally important point that Peter is making. See, all the yous in 1 Peter are plural, in keeping with the vast majority of the letters in the New Testament. In fact, Dan James likes to read verses like this, as if he came from the southern states of the US. So you read it, But y'all are a chosen people. Y'all are a royal priesthood. Y'all are a holy nation. And so on. See, like the other writers of the New Testament, Peter wants us to see here, a Christian can never thrive in splendid isolation. We need to be part of a community. We need other Christians around us. We need to belong to a local church. Now, the second thing to notice about all these phrases is that each of these phrases is soaked in the Old Testament, if you like. Each of these descriptions of the church has its roots in the Old Testament, the first part of our Bibles. And each phrase is used there to describe the people of God in the Old Testament, the people of ancient Israel. Now, I don't know if you've noticed as we've been Working our way through 1 Peter, Peter quotes from the Old Testament a lot here. He keeps referring back to the Old Testament. And it's as if Peter is saying to his readers, including us today, the Old Testament, well, it was written for you. If you want to know who your God is, read the Old Testament. If you want to know who you are, read the Old Testament. If you want to know why Jesus came for you, read the Old Testament. And it's hard to be 100% certain whether Peter's original readers were mostly Jewish believers with a few Gentile believers among them, or mostly Gentile believers with a few Jewish believers among them. The safe bet is to say Peter's writing to a mixture of Jewish and Gentile believers. But no matter what their background, Peter wants his readers to understand something. Now you are the people of God, verse 10. The church is the new Israel made up of Jews and Gentiles who place their trust in Jesus Christ. All the Old Testament pictures of the people of God apply to you, the church, says Peter. And one of those descriptions of the people of God in the Old Testament comes in the book of Exodus, chapter 19. Verses 4 to 6. And this is a passage that seems to be in Peter's mind as he writes these words to the Christians he's writing to. 
Now in Exodus 19, the Lord is speaking to Moses just before he gives Israel the Ten Commandments. The Lord has rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He's brought them to Mount Sinai. And then he says this to Moses, a message Moses is to pass on to the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Because the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Again, I hope you saw there that Peter is picking up a lot of the language of Exodus 19 in his descriptions of the church here. So it's worth us asking the question, well, how is the church we belong to similar to ancient Israel? Well, like ancient Israel, the church is made up of people who've been rescued from slavery. For the ancient Israelites, that was slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt. For us today, it is slavery to sin and to death. We are a rescued people. And again, like ancient Israel, God now calls us his people, his treasured possession. And like ancient Israel, we have been saved by God for a purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, that purpose is to worship the God of grace and to live as his witnesses in this world. God saves us for a life of worship and of witness. And more on that in a little bit. But let's turn to Peter's first description of the church in verse 9 then. We are a chosen people, says Peter. Again, why does Peter use that phrase to describe the Christians he's writing to? Why does he want them to understand this about themselves? And why is that good news for them? Well, first of all, I think Peter uses this description to get across to his readers something of the glorious grace of God towards them. We are a chosen people. God chose us before we chose him. Amazingly, in salvation, Peter wants us to see, God always makes the first move. Now, Peter's already made that point earlier in the letter, in the opening verses of chapter 1, because there he addresses his readers as God's elect exiles who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. See, right from the outset of his letter, Peter wants his readers to know something. They have been chosen by God. And because of that, they can have great security in their relationship with God, no matter how many trials they may be experiencing. See, Peter shows us here, God always makes the first move in salvation. And that's a point other New Testament writers are keen to make in their letters. So the Apostle John in 1 John 4 verse 10 says this, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, before we ever loved God, says John, God loved us. Before we ever started searching for God, God was searching for us. Or listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Again, Paul tells us God doesn't wait for us to clean up our act before we put our faith in Jesus. It's while we're still sinners that Jesus died for us. So what does all that mean for Peter's first readers? What does it mean for any Christians watching this today? Well, it means for everyone who trusts in Jesus, we are secure in God's hands. God chose us to be part of his people and God doesn't make mistakes. That's an amazing truth to hold on to. To grasp something of the glory of that truth, we just have to contrast God's choices with the choices we often make. Now, I sometimes think that old photos exist for one reason, to remind us of the terrible choices we can make in our lives. We look at an old photo and go, why did I think that haircut looked good? Why did I think that outfit was a good choice? Why did I think wearing a long grey trench coat as a student would attract the ladies to me? Again, you look at old photos and you're reminded of the terrible choices we can make. And if it was only a matter of haircuts and clothing, we might be all right. But we all have regrets about far more important things in our lives, don't we? Why did I treat that person the way that I did? Why didn't I speak up for that person when I had the opportunity? Why didn't I tell that person how I felt about them? before it was too late. We all can make terrible choices in our lives. We all have regrets. And if our identity as God's chosen people depended solely on our ability to make the right choice, then we could have very little confidence about ourselves. But you see, that is why Peter emphasizes God's choosing of us here. See, if you're a Christian watching this, then, then amazingly you can say of yourself, God chose me before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Peter has amazing news for us here. If we trust in Jesus, God chose you. No matter how weak or discouraged you may feel, God wants you around. He wants you in his people. You are not a mistake. God chose you. God is utterly committed to you. His purposes for you are good, even through times of suffering. God chose you, says Peter, and he will never let you go. I hope we can see there is real mystery here, but it's a glorious mystery. How does this work? Why does God choose us? Well, in one sense, the Bible doesn't really answer that question. The Bible didn't answer that question of the ancient people of God, the people of ancient Israel. Now, Israel didn't deserve to be God's people. They weren't any better than the nations around them. They weren't any stronger or more impressive than their neighbours. So why did God choose them? Well, the only answer we get in the Old Testament is the same answer the New Testament gives us. God chose us because he loves us. God's choice of his people is an expression of his love for his people. And a key passage on that relationship between God choosing his people and God's love for his people is in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 7 to 8. And it's an amazing passage for, for a number of reasons. But the main reason is 
that it doesn't really explain for us why God loves his people, even though they're so unworthy. It merely assures God's people that he does love us. Let me read Deuteronomy 7, those verses for us that they're on the screen. The Lord did not set his affection on you, Israel, and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, can you see the circular argument God is making here? You ask, why do I love my people? Why did I set my affection on them? Well, the answer is, because I love them. You see, the mysterious, the wonderful news of Deuteronomy 7 for every Christian watching this today is, God loves you because he loves you. God loves you because he loves you. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because of things you do for him. It's not because you're better than anyone else. No, God loves you because he loves you. It's a gift of sheer grace. Don't try to understand why. Just rejoice in his love. Worship him for his love for you. See, Peter wants his Christian readers to understand something. You are a chosen people. God chose you before you chose him. So you have security. God chose you because he loves you. So rejoice in that. And finally, God chose us for a purpose, says Peter. God chose us to live lives of worship and of witness for him in this world. Again, I hope we've seen here that, that in many ways, Peter's purpose in reminding his readers that they are a chosen people is, is if you like, to encourage and strengthen them in difficult times, to assure them of God's commitment to them as his people. And I hope we've seen already that is good news for every Christian watching this today. But you see, Peter isn't content merely to reassure his readers of God's love. No, he also wants to remind them of their purpose here on earth. And Peter reveals that purpose at the end of verse 9. Now, these are words we're going to keep coming back to as we work through these phrases over the weeks, because it's the great purpose that stands behind each one of the identities Peter describes for us in verse 9. Let me read it for us again. Verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I wonder, have you ever asked the question, why am I here on this planet? Well, the answer Peter gives you, if you're a Christian, is this. You're here on this planet to declare the praises of him who saved you. You're here on this planet to declare the praises of the God of grace. Peter wants to see here that the Christian life, the life of any church that belongs to Jesus, is a life of worship and a life of witness. It's all about us worshipping God for his grace and witnessing to others about the grace of God in Jesus. Now, I hope we've seen that Peter's already shown us why we worship God in this world. Because he chose us, 
because he loves us, because he's committed to us. A group of Christians uh, in the 17th century tried to sort of capture our purpose here on earth in this. They wrote very famous words. They said, what is the chief purpose of man, of, of humanity? And the answer is, well, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's a Christian. Why are you here on this planet? You're here to enjoy God, to declare his praises, to worship God for his grace towards you in Jesus. And a part of that worship is that you're also here on this earth to witness to God's saving grace in Jesus. Again, we're going to keep coming back to this idea in the weeks to come. But for now, we need to grasp something. The primary way God chooses a people for himself is through the witness of his people. We need to see here, every Christian has a part to play in God choosing people to come to faith in Jesus as we live and speak as his witnesses in this world. And it's really important that we understand that part we have to play. Again, if you're a Christian watching this, just just think about the story of your own conversion, your own coming to faith in Jesus. How did God choose you? Well, at least part of the answer must be through putting Christians in your life. Christians who prayed for you. Christians who told you the truth about Jesus. Now, we've been emphasising today God's part in salvation. In large part, because I think that's what Peter is emphasising here by saying you are a chosen people. However, we must never allow the truth that God chooses his people to weaken our commitment to evangelism, to living as God's witnesses in this world. We must always remember a large part of God choosing us is so that we will live as his evangelists in this world. So we will be his witnesses in this world. He chooses us individually for that and he chooses us corporately for that. To help us see that, just think of one of the high points in the Bible's teaching of God choosing a people for himself. The book of Romans, chapters 9 to 11. Now, in those chapters, the Apostle Paul says a great deal about God choosing a people for himself. But right at the heart of these chapters, Paul boldly declares that our witness is vital in God's saving purposes in this world. He tells us that every single Christian has a part to play in building God's church. Here's how Paul puts it, Romans 10, verses 14 to 15. But how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, Paul wants us to see here, just as Peter does in his letter, God chooses us to be his evangelists in this world. That is the identity we get to live out together as God's church. That's the privilege we have to be used by God to bring other people into his chosen people forever through faith in Jesus. So the more we think about it, our witness really is an act of worship of the God of grace, as we invite other people to come to know and experience the grace we ourselves have experienced in Jesus. 
It's an amazing picture of our identity, I think. Now we're going to carry on looking at Peter's great descriptions of the church in verse 9 in the weeks ahead. But for now, let me finish by saying this. Avenue Church family, be encouraged. You are God's chosen people. I say that because we are living through strange and uncertain times. Even as we take our first steps towards meeting together in the weeks to come, I suspect if we're honest with ourselves and with God, worship and witness might not be at the forefront of our minds. Like Peter's original readers, you may be feeling discouraged, downhearted, uncertain of what the future holds. But as we finish our time in 1 Peter today, let's remember it's precisely when we are feeling weak and discouraged and downhearted that we need to have our eyes opened to Peter's glorious picture of the church. Peter's glorious picture of us as God's chosen people. Peter tells us here, God loves us. God is committed to us. He wants to work through our lives as his witnesses in this world, even during the days we are living in. We are God's chosen people and God has placed us in each other's lives for a reason. So that we can love one another deeply. So we can pray for one another during these days. So we can point one another to Jesus. So we can share God's word with each other. So we can spur one another on to love and good deeds, even now. So Avenue Church family, be encouraged. We are God's chosen people. Individual Christian in Avenue, God chose you to be part of his people so you can love and serve and encourage one another. We are God's chosen people. The God of grace is with us and he has given us one another to love and to help us. None of us has to walk through these days alone. Let's praise God for that. And let's keep trusting in him and urging one another to keep trusting in him in the days ahead. Let me finish with some words later on in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 10 to 11, a prayer. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. <music>